Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. Today we visit with author Cynthia Weathers, and we're going to be discussing her book titled Precious Moments We Shared in Time. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you. Tell me about your book. Is this a fiction or a nonfiction? I believe it's a nonfiction, correct? It's a nonfiction. And tell me a little bit about it. What motivated you to share your story with the world? Because uh, from... 1980 up to the present time, I've had a lot of crisis in my life. I had uh, loss, I had loneliness, and it was so many crises. And uh, the big one was medical. Personal medical issues? Right. I had, uh, in 2010, I had two brain surgery, and in 2011, I had three. The final was on November, December 23rd. December 23rd, 2011, that's when I have the expansion of my cranium. And how is your current health condition? Right now it's fantastic. Uh, I'm able to see and have no headaches and it's, it's great. What is the reason that you have shared your story and tell me a little bit about the background. Well, the thing about it, I was very uh, depressed. Uh, I used to, could not handle myself uh, vision-wise. And I thought it had something to do with me wearing glasses, and I do wear glasses. And um, and I used to, couldn't concentrate that much. And I went to school, I went to college, and I, as I was going, I went blind. And the blindness came from the... Uh, pressure on the optic nerve and then no one knew what it was all about so they treated me and finally they placed a, what you call a shunt from my spinal cord up into my under my right uh, birth line and I had that for 28 years and then that failed and I met this doctor and he was able to help me by taking it from my spinal and putting it up in the upper part of my head that failed and then come December 23rd, 24th, I had the last uh, surgery where they had to expand my cranium. Tell us a little bit about the storyline in your book. It's a short read, 69 pages. Yes. The title again is Precious Moments We Shared in Time. What does that refer to? That, that referred to, okay, it has things to do with my husband. It has something to do with my whole life. And, and how I wasn't able to cope to understand what was going on with me. So I had no place to go. So I, what I did, I gathered up a lot of poems that things that happened to me, that's when I decided, okay, let me put it on paper. In the beginning, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do the book. But then I did. I, I, I wrote the book. I said maybe someone could understand, could identify themselves with this book. And that's why I did uh, the book. This personal account of your medical journey and also your recovery, who do you think it will appeal to and why? Well, I, I do believe it could, uh, it could be 
to young, uh, older people, because a lot of times you're out there, and I've met a lot of people that I've spoke to, and then when you start talking and, and you're sharing story, and you say, oh, I went through that. And through all the problem I had, I went into a deep depression. And by writing this book, it brought a lot of things out that was inside of me. Uh, it, it just brought me back to where I should be. Uh, I had regrets of not being able to finish college because I wanted to become a nurse. That didn't work. And this, by just putting what, what was there on paper, it helped me a great deal. And this is the second of three books that you've written. Were they yes. all dealing with similar subjects? Well, the first book uh, does not. And that one deals with the loss of my husband, is that I could not cope with it. So I decided to write things that happen uh, with our life and how I miss him. And, 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 and that's what that is all about, is, is the missing, and the things that we would not be able to do. The plans, that one, that's a short book. It's just the hopes and dreams for Manny tomorrow. And it's about the traveling we took and, and to realize at this point in time he's gone, we will never do those trips anymore, never. That book gave me an inside look at myself and to face different things, and that was the start of everything. What is the storyline in your children's book that you've written? Well, my children's book, it's, about, it's, it's, it's like um, a child realized that, excuse me, <clears throat> anyone could be a friend. He befriends snow, the snowflakes, and, and, and it, it just, it's an imaginary thing. This is what I could do with the snow, and they ask me questions. And I said, yes, when it's snow, you can go out and play. They'll be out there, come up and down. It's just a fantasy. I want them to, you know, to, to, to think about. Sounds like you are doing well if you've written three books, even if they are self-discovery books. How long yeah. did it take to write this particular book? It didn't take me that long. Uh, what happened was that I can sit down and I can just think, and it, it's there. Uh, I think with this one, before I uh, 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 took sick was... Uh, uh, 2009, I had already started this, and then when, uh, after the last surgery, then I just finish it, complete it. I don't have to, like, sit down. A lot of people have to sit down and think, I could just be sitting, and things just come across my mind that I write it, or uh, experiences, things that have happened, like years ago, past, like the passing of my father and mother. And I was angry with my husband, and all of that came in tune. And there's one part in the book, page 32, life can leave you with an empty bed. Mm. And, and that is that, you know, you could be in that bed knowing that the person is gone, and you lie in that bed, but you're scared to look on the other side, and you're terrified or even touch the other side. So what you do, you like laying on your back, looking up at the ceiling, and then you're wondering if the ceiling may come down on you. And then you say to yourself, I wonder what this empty bed will do to my life. Because it's like drawn into you. It's, it's, uh, you know that person that was there, uh, that person was your strength. It was everything. And, and the things that the two of you shared, you know you're not going to share it anymore. 
And tell us, Cynthia, what did you discover during this journey, and did it bring personal growth, or were there positive yes. things that came out of it? Yes. It taught me is that, look, first of all, you have to love you in order to help someone else. And I've always been helping other people. I always put them first, and I'm always last. And I learned you can't do that. In order to stay healthy and keep a clear mind, you heal yourself first, and then you can help others. You know, don't forget about you. If you forget about you and something happened to that individual, like it happened to my parents and happened to my husband, then you're left alone. You don't have that support. But if you have that support, like, within you, when these things occur, you don't have to worry. Very important. Very important to have a good foundation upon which to build your life. How would you introduce this book to someone that doesn't know you or not sure what the title represents? Well, I would say that it's an inner strength that you need to have, not an outer, an inner, like depend on thyself. When you can depend on yourself and not rely on other people, you have life. But then when you don't do that, you, you know, and you depend, you, de- you lean, you know, trust yourself first. Then you can trust others. That's what I would say. And with with illness, um, if you have a, a some amount of illness, don't just lay there and feel sorry. What can I do to bring me to help me? It's a hard. It's very hard. I'm not. I wouldn't tell anybody. Oh, you know, it's easy. No, it's not. It's hard. But you got to look within you to find that peace. Others might be there, but they don't understand the peace, the flow of peace that you need to go through. They can talk to you, but then you. I've always said to people when they ask me questions, what do you do? I says, I find a quiet room and meditate and think of me at that moment. Not disregarding anybody else, but that present time, it's my time. Because with all the illness, all the loneliness, I myself had to deal with it no one else could have come in that was my world that i had to deal with and that was a new world when you when when there's a lost when there's loneliness you have to you got to find tranquility you have to find it within within you and i always say that people ask me a lot of questions and i said you have to you know you hold your card no one else does and you took up writing was there a process in the writing that helped you get through your pain? Well, one particular night when my husband died, I used to go to bed with the picture of our wedding pictures, picture of us, to bed every night. And this particular night at midnight, uh, something woke me up and says, go get pencil and paper. And I went in and I got the pencil and paper. And the first thing came across my mind was midnight madness. And I wrote that Midnight Madness until about 6 in the morning, from 12 midnight till 6 in the morning. And I just start writing. I could be on the train or the bus, or I can be in a doctor's office, and things come across my mind. Title of something. It just come across. But when you, when you don't let yourself go free, and you're constantly worrying about, you cannot deal with tomorrow. you got to deal with what's, there, you know, and and I always tell people, they always ask me questions, why do you like that? It's a change, it's not an overnight thing, 
is I think that's when reality steps in. That's my fear, when reality. And maybe I'm, a lot of people, they're frightened of that, you know, and that's why they lean. I found out leaning is not good. Because then you, lost, you have lost self. And once you've lost self, you have nothing else. That's true. You've also written that you're not just the passenger in your life. You're the driver. I am the driver. Always trust yourself. You are not alone in your pain. And then life can throw you a curve. Yes, it can. Because, number one, I thought I'd gotten over with the um, brain surgery. Mm-hmm. They corrected the expansion of my cranial. That was fantastic. That happened. I came out of the hospital in uh, January 6th of 2012. What did I do? Oh, I, I did not. I cried one time, and I spoke to my brother. He says, I don't know how you do it. And one of my cousins says, I truly believe you have nine lives. And I, I don't believe in that. I believe in what I am doing for myself. I don't tell no one that, okay, dude, no. I'm just expressing what I've gone through in life and how it has healed me up to this present time. I don't have cancer anymore. Mm. I've had my one year. After, I, after they did the surgery, I developed a 10-inch hole in my stomach. I didn't cry. I didn't moan. They took care of it. And I went on. Because you, I've learned this in life. You can kill your own self by just worrying what you have. And I don't do that. Where it comes from, I don't know, but I don't do that. Well, before I would, but not now. After the loss of my husband, i like, okay, that's it. You've grabbed some strength. Yes, and your strength is within you. Nothing comes without. Outside doesn't mean anything, because outside you are, you're bringing it in. Inside is there. It's a calmness. It's calm. And a person that have not gone through what I went through, they have no idea how I feel. None, they could say, I'm sorry. I don't like the sorry. I like that. Okay, you made it. Yes. Yes. Are, are there three words that maybe describe this book? One is loss. The other one is uh, loneliness. And the, the other one is how I came through. Would you also use the word tranquility? Excellent. I would do that. Found like peace within me. You found some peace in this very turbulent time that you've gone through. What was the most challenging part of writing this? Well, um, well, being that I had a lot of uh, uh, other things to do, medical things, that was very hard. But then I've learned a way how to do things. I would take the work with me and write while I'm in the doctor's office. But as uh, per uh, for the writing, that was not that was not an issue. It was just it was a smooth thing. I think it it, it opened a special door for me to say, okay, put it there. Write it. Mm-hmm. And as I began to write, it seemed like everything just started to come out. It was just, oh, it was like peace, tranquility. Everything was there. Beautiful. You know, I was just, oh, there's logic. Let's just think, no. I, 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 I've had a lot of problems. I, I just met a new doctor. And he spoke to me. He said, I don't know what category I can put you in. And I said, why do you say that? He says, if you look at you and, and if you examine you, there's to, total do, two different things. You have to grab life. You do. You know, no one can live for you. And this book, I, I, 
I explained the loss of my parents, and I was angry with them. I'm, I was angry with my husband. I never got an opportunity to say goodbye. Okay, I cannot stay there. I have to move on. And this book gave me that. This book gave me. This book, this book challenged every, all of my being. And it says, okay, put this. Go over it again. Don't put that. This book went into everything. And uh, one page where I um, recognized my uh, parents, uh, dedication, and my teachers, and my, um, the doctors, page for them that I recognized them. And they say thank you. Because it wasn't me alone. Uh, it was the, uh, the group of doctors that at one time, you know, when you're having that many surgery, you do get tired. And then I said to myself, go within and bring that out. And I did. The, the title of the book, again, is Precious Moments We Shared yes. in Time. Yes. And I wish you would get an opportunity to read it. The author is Cynthia Weathers. Thank you, Cynthia, for joining us today. Thank you so much. I hope you uh, uh, got something out of what I'm saying, and I wish you would read If it's just two things in the book, just read it. Where can we get a copy of your book? Oh, I'm on Amazon.com, and I'm with Ex Libria. They have uh, uh, my book, too. Excellent. Thank you for sharing this important book and this inspirational story of your journey and how you're coming out on the other side with a positive attitude. And thank you so much for being so pleasant. It was an honor to visit with you, Cynthia. For Steve Jorgensen and Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana, through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage, connectwithjulianainmedia.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to TogiNet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on TogiNet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on TogiNet.com. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Gold Beneath My Feet, the Homeward Bound Collection, and the author is Pat Gowdy, and Pat joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Pat. Hi, Steve. How are you? Great to have you with us. Gold Beneath My Feet. I love the title. We'll find out why in just a bit about your solid beliefs about the next life. Uh, Death is but a door. That's the way I like to look at it anyway. So, you know, you say gold beneath my feet is filled with peace and hope for the human heart. It's not about the end of life, but a more glorious beginning that promises more comfort, happiness, and joy than anything you have ever imagined. My goodness, why wouldn't we look forward to this thing that everyone doesn't want to talk about called death? Uh, That is my question. I I have contemplated this for years. I even grew up up in a small community, and and after I was, I guess, probably a teenager, I... uh, I attended some funerals of local people, you know, and all, and it seemed such a grueling thing. And I thought, this, this, there's something wrong here. We're looking at this wrong. It just, just doesn't seem right to me. So, so I've kind of contemplated it for a lifetime. And uh, God has revealed some things to me in the last several years, and and uh, He uh, blessed me with some poems, and thus gold beneath my feet being one of them. And uh, uh, he uh, he just he just revealed this 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 to me about human death is not at all the end. In fact, it's more of a glorious beginning. And uh, I just I just uh, I think this is something that we all need to get a hold of. You know, is believing the promises of God. Uh, and the and this is a promise of God. If you belong to him, you are going to see this. Well, why don't you share that poem with us, Gold Beneath My Feet? We'll start there. Okay, Gold Beneath My Feet. In the beginning, I say we may not fully understand the significance of this present earthly life we find ourselves engulfed in. It can sometimes bring such pain and other times such joy. I think the joyous times are but a prelude to the coming main attraction when one day we may look down to discover that we have stepped out of this world onto the glorious streets of gold. Mine eyes have seen the barren land, a desert parched and dry. He showered me with cool, clear water and manna from the sky. Mine eyes have searched the mountain, the rugged cliffs to climb. He smoothed out every crevice and made the straight path mine. Mine eyes have seen the green valley across the raging stream. He parted the waters in my presence and bade me come and dream. Mine eyes were trained unto the hills from whence came forth my peace. He invited me to take my place at his magnificent homecoming feast. I lift my battered soul to him, my journey now complete, as angels sing in choirs of joy. I see gold beneath my feet. Very well said. I love what you said about a homecoming. That's what this is about, isn't it? We're it's going back home. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're going back home. We're like the prodigal son, you know. And we, uh, in the back of my book, in the conclusion, I, 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 
I, I said something about being a prodigal son. But I'm, I, I know that he is excited as I am about coming home, for I am his child, his prodigal son, and I have decided to go home. You, my friend, are also his child. Do not ever sell yourself short of who you are. God loves you with an undying love and is jumping through hoops awaiting your homecoming. There's just a lot of misconceptions of Bible scriptures and God's ways. That's what you're trying to kind of get us back to the basics, just back to the truth. Right, back to the truth of God's Word. And it, He promise, promises this, these things to us. So why don't we believe? I think the world gets in our way a lot, you know. Uh, you know, man tries to have a solution to everything, and uh, <laughs> tries, tries to, to have a solution. Yeah, tries to, to explain everything from a man's understanding, and you can't do that. Right, exactly, exactly. It just doesn't work. So, uh, you know, the more the more we can rely on God, the better off we're going to be. That's just the that's just the way it is, you know. So God is in direct control of everything. You don't, you have no doubt. No, I, I don't. I don't really believe that way. I don't believe he he is in direct control of everything. I think he I think he has control. But you know, and back in Genesis, he gave that control to man. He said, "Go and subdue the world," and he gave that control to us. Where the problem comes in is in our minds, and it's what we think. Uh, if we think man's way, it's probably not going to work. You know, uh, I allude in one of the stories in my book of, of of the idea of a car. If you put if you put water in your gas tank, it's not going to run because it wasn't designed to run on water. Same way with God. Same way with life. If you put something other than the Word of God in your life, it's probably not going to work too well. So, so how does how does one learn the ways of God? You learn the ways of God by spending time with Him. You have to go talk to Him. This is this, it. It's not exactly what I call I, prayer. Sometimes is something that we I think is another misconception we have. We think prayer is something we need to like a some kind of a a recital type deal to God. You know, it's not. It's just a conversation, just like you and I are having. Uh, and and we need to spend that time with him. Because he said, if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Mm. And he said, if you seek me, I'll make sure you find me. And I just love that. And that's what I did, and I found him. He, he, he was there. In fact, he was there all the time. But it was up to me and my way of thinking to find him. So that's revelation. That's how he speaks to us. Exactly. He speaks through revelation. And I think you read the Bible through revelation. I've seen people that's read the Bible many, many times, and they don't get it. But, but if you'll read the Bible and let God be with you as you read, he will reveal his truths to you as you read the Bible. It's not, uh, it's not like a... It's not necessarily like a textbook, you know, like learning fractions or something. It, 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 real truth comes through revelation, I believe. Explain the power of belief. Oh wow, the power of belief is phenomenal, and I never, I never 
up until the last few years understood the power of belief, but belief is paramount in what we do, how we act, the things we say. Uh, belief, I, I have a little, a little short story, if I may, Please. about, uh, about a, a little old lady. Now, I'm not sure if this was true or not, but I, <laughs> I heard this, and it will, it, uh, will uh, make a point. There was a little old lady that lived in this little house on the street. She was elderly. Uh, the neighbors watched her as she would come outside, usually once a day or every other day or so, and do a little bit of work in the yard or whatever. And uh, there was a few of the neighbor ladies kind of got to know her a little bit, but she was very reserved. Anyway, one day, one of the other neighbor ladies uh, noticed that she hadn't been out in a few days. So she went over and knocked on her door. No one came to the door. So she decided she'd go to the back door. She went to the back door. No one came to the door. So she called the authorities. They came, broke through the door. Sure enough, found the old lady in her bed dead. They did an autopsy. The autopsy showed that she had starved to death. Well, after they took the body and all and found out she had no living relatives, the neighbor ladies went into her house and decided they better gather up her things and do whatever with them. And so as they were gathering up, there were lots of books. They got to looking through these books, and they were stuffed with $100 bills. <laughs> they found over a million dollars in this house, and this <laughs> lady starved to death. <laughs> this, is, this is what thinking, this is what belief can do to us. It can make you, it can break you, it can do all kinds of things. So therefore, if we believe God's Word, God's Word will work in our lives and will eventually will, will produce an abundant life in us. And this abundant life goes on then in the death of the body and then into the spirit realm. And you call yourself just an average guy who's learned to love God and receive his revelation. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> Pretty much, I think. And, and I, I, have a, I really have a burning need to, to tell people. I, I, just, I, I just really do. I, I, think that, uh, I think that's my calling. And, and so that's, that's really, really, uh, really what I think he wants me to do. And thus the book for starters. <laughs> One of the themes in your book talks about we must work with God's design. Help us understand. That again, that again is like the car that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Uh, God made everything. Of course, we all, I think everyone would, would, would agree to that. God made everything. He made the heavens and the earth, and in Genesis it tells what all he did make. And I, he even made life. Okay, he made it. He not only made it; he designed it. He designed the world. I mean, we've all even learned through science how, if the Earth was tilted two more degrees or something, that it would be we wouldn't be here probably. So, anyway, everything is done through God's design, and whether we like it or not, we are living in His, in, in amongst His design. So, therefore, our life is also designed by God. Now, if we don't 
if if we don't listen to him and listen to the designer as to how to operate this thing, it's probably not going to work very well. Just like the car, if you put put water in your gas tank, it's probably not going to run because it wasn't designed to run on water. Very well so put. That, We've uh, just got a couple minutes left here. Pat, okay. tell us about the importance of being born again. Oh, wow. Well, the importance of being born. Being born again opens the gate to it all, to everything. Being born again, and that this is this is something I've just learned in just the last oh, couple of months, uh, that when you're born again, most people think that, well, now I've got a job ahead of me. I've got to try to try to do this right and that right, you know. And that's, that's not what being born again is. Being born again is means that God has replaced your old spirit with his spirit. Now, we might not be able to feel that, and we may not be able to, to uh, we may not even know it's there so much other than through his word. But when he gives us this spirit, he also gives us all of his promises, every one of them. He gives us healing, he gives us prosperity, and everything else that he's promised comes with that package. And so if we could start tuning into this in our minds and start thinking in these terms, the, the, the Bible talks about the renewing of the mind. That's what we have to do. We have to renew our minds because we're not thinking right. We have to renew our minds to think the way he tells us to. And when we renewed our minds that way, then all the rest will follow. Right. Very well said, Pat. We've been listening to Pat Gowdy. He is the author of his book, Gold Beneath My Feet, The Homeward Bound Collection. Pat, tell us how to get your book. Uh, my book can be ordered through Ex Labris uh, Corporation. Let's see, the uh, phone number is one eight 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 seven nine five four two seven four. Their website is www.exlabris.com. Can also be purchased from Amazon dot com, uh, and it's also in ebook form. If you will Google "Gold Beneath My Feet," there's several other uh, booksellers on that has it too. Well, thank you so much, Pat, for being with us on Ex Libris on Air. Thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate the opportunity. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. 
we can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings, this is J. Douglas Barker. Today on Ex Libris On Air, we'll be visiting with author Kimberly Olson to discuss a book titled Akalia. That's an interesting title. Welcome, Kimberly. Thanks. Tell me a little bit about this title. What does the term Akalia stand for? Now, the cover has a picture of a beautiful woman along with some night scenes in the background. Um, it actually refers to um, an ancient myth, Roman myth, and um, it's actually a name of Greek origin, which refers to the she-wolf who supposedly nursed Romulus and Remus when they were abandoned. And the significance of that is that they, in, in the myth, went on to found Rome. So basically, the she-wolf in the story represents this ancient she-wolf called the Calia. That's one of the names she's known by in antiquity, symbolic. Tell us a little more about this book. What is the style of literature that you've written? You know, it's, it's fantasy. It's a genre that um, definitely has a, a niche following. But I would like to think that it's not limited to that. So, you know, it, it sort of has a, a dark appeal. But I would like to think that when you dig deeper, you'll find the more universal uh, qualities in it as well. And 246 pages. Yes. And in writing this book, what motivated you? What got you started? On this journey? Yeah, I've always loved to write. I've always done it as a hobby. Um, to be honest with you, it was really a dream that I just couldn't shake from my mind. And um, I started to elaborate, and then my imagination ran away with me. <laughs> and that was it. You know, a lot of people are surprised when they know me that I would write this kind of book because there are some violent scenes in it, and that's not really my um, outward appearance or, or nature. So it really is just pure imagination, and I also wanted to intertwine um, some aspects of travel and mythology into it. So if someone I think is fairly well-read, they'll pick up on a lot of extra things. In looking at your biography, you have a very interesting background. You studied in the United States, if I am understanding it correctly, and and also fluent in several languages. Um, I'm fluent in Spanish and Italian. Um, I also studied German, so I them okay, wouldn't say great. Um, so yes, I definitely have a passion for languages and uh, travel. Well, at least you can order a good meal when you travel to Germany. Yeah, yeah, I must <laughs> say, I, I could make my way around a lot of restaurants pretty well. <laughs> That's excellent. I've done some foreign travel. I've been in, in Europe several times, and I try to use what little Spanish I have or my French language, and I get them both confused when I start talking to people. So I'm in awe of people who can master a foreign language. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's actually, you know, something intertwined in the book as far as food and uh, wine and the travel. So I, I think when you uh, write, even when you venture off into things that are so uh, imaginative, like your fantasy genre, you, um, you you need to come back to earth and incorporate some things of your own. So that's what I I did throughout the book was incorporate some things that I know about, like drinking wine and also the city of Buenos Aires, where I lived for almost a decade. The storyline setting. When does it's it take to be place? Modern times. So it's modern times. It's, yes, yes. No, no specific year really, but it's definitely modern day. It is a modern day book. Having completed this novel, who do you think this book would appeal to, and why? Um, I think it would definitely appeal to people that like the fantasy paranormal genre, um, but not excluding. Um, it's it's definitely a page turner. I think people that like to be on the edge of their seat will enjoy it. 
but I would say from um, you know maybe a first off um, attraction that would be for people with the paranormal werewolf vampire genre. It's it's definitely um, a take on a, on a werewolf story. Is it dark? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's it's part of the fun. But I, I don't know. At least the feedback I've gotten from a lot of people is that uh, it's dark, but it doesn't put you off. There are some folks who just love to be terrified. They ride scary rides at amusement parks, and they love to read books like this and go to movies that have this theme because they know it's a fantasy and they can survive. Yeah, I think it's basically entertaining. Um, it's not... Um, not super character driven. I think that the main character, Kalia, she's not very sympathetic as a main character. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of symbolic, whereas the other main character, Sebastian Michetti, is more sympathetic and people will be in for sure and want to know what happens next. It's that kind of thing. It's, it's a purely turning the pages. And how long did it take you to write this book after your dream? Um, about 10 months. It wasn't that long because, you know, it's not the kind of book that requires a lot of investigation or research. Um, it's just it's mainly just getting out uh, my thoughts and ideas, um, doing some editing. But, um, yeah, it was it was fairly quick. And Akalia, that's your main character? Yes, that's, that refers to the, her she-wolf side. There's um, the human side. She's named Diana, and she works as a sous chef in Buenos Aires. So she's got a human side, or persona, I should say, and then the she-wolf or werewolf side, which would be a Kalia. Interesting. Now, are there any specific messages you'd like people to take away from this writing? Basically, the focus is on duality, the light and dark of human nature. So there's definitely a psychological theme underlying there. Um, you know, the appearances can be deceiving. And I think that people aren't really in touch with the kind of darker side. And it doesn't mean that we're werewolves or killers. It's simply um, it's representative of, you know, we're basically dark and light. And that, that is a recurring theme throughout the book. Should someone read this book and want to turn it into a movie, what scene in your mind really captures the essence of this book? Yeah, that's actually hard to say. Um, I think there are a lot of different scenes. There are quite a few subplots going on. But there are some scenes of tango dancing in Buenos Aires, which would definitely catch the entertainment wow factor on a big screen. So the, there's about the two scenes, at least, where they're in a tango of um, the two main characters, Miketi and uh, Akalia, or Diana in her human form, where they are actually dancing tango, and I think that would work really well on a screen. Are there other characters in this book that stand out in addition to Akalia? Um, I would just say the other leading one, which is Sebastian Michetti, which is the uh, forensic investigator. You know, he's kind of the the lighter one, the one who's out to solve some gruesome murders in Buenos Aires, and they wind up falling in love. I mean, he's obviously not aware in the beginning that she's a werewolf, but um, you know, they, they they basically are the heart and soul of the story. Um, there are some other supporting characters. But um, they are usually related to the crimes and um, some of the other psychological factors of the book. Um, for example, self-acceptance is a theme. So there is one character who comes to terms with the fact that she is homosexual and basically can't accept. So, you know, there are little plots going on, right? the murderous plots um, of people struggling with their self-acceptance. book even, you know, it kind of symbolizes that as well. Without giving away the total plot, does Akalia have any involvement in the crimes that are taking place? Yes, yes, and that's part of the whole conflict is um, 
she basically wants to put an end to this curse she has. She's a werewolf because of an ancient curse. And um, she basically wants him to help rid her of this curse. And he falls in love with her at the same time. So there's definitely a conflict there of hanging out the truth. And then what do you do with that? And then will he help her? Because if he helps her, that basically will mean the end of her. I see. Now, you probably have two or three words that would describe this book. What would those be? I would say <laughs> multi-layered and entertaining. And if you're introducing this to someone that hasn't read any of your work or doesn't know you, how would you describe this book? I would describe this book as a good holiday read. Um, don't be put off by the dark genre. And I think that they can approach it from many different perspectives. I mean, the violence is just, it's a tool, really. It's not the whole point of the book. And you know, the murders and the violence, it's actually, um, there's some very pleasant parts, too, as far as the idiosyncrasies of Argentine society, the tango dancing cooking and wine, the senses, it's, um, it'll appeal to a lot of the senses. And did you personally live in Argentina? Yes, I did. Ah, that explains your understanding of the Argentine uh, culture. Yeah, and I how spent you... almost 10 years there, and I'm married to an Argentine, so yes, I know it quite well. <laughs> that explains quite a bit about the storyline then. Yes, and I think the atmosphere will be very credible. Are there any scenes mm -hmm. or characters you want to inter that you want to highlight that we haven't mentioned at this point? No, no. Those are the primary characters, then? They're the primary characters. There are some other sub-characters, but I, I think I would um, reveal too much if I started bringing them up. <laughs> and, the, and the, again, the two central characters are Akalia or Diana in her human persona, and the Sebastian Mikiki, who is the forensic investigator. There are other books out in the marketplace, and of course the mystery of vampires and other things are certainly mm -hmm. high on the reader's list right now. How's this one set apart from the crowd? Uh, I think it's a twist. It's definitely, again, the, maybe the psychological components and the fact that it's a strong female character. I think often in these vampire and werewolf books that are quite popular nowadays, the strong characters tend to be men. And in this case, we've got a woman who is, is quite a strong female character. So that's one aspect. And, and I think you have incorporation of mythology and... Um, kind of an exotic setting. It's, it's, it's a new twist on an old story. And are there any challenging things that you had to overcome in order to get this book put together? I think, uh, yeah, just coming out of my shell, because for me to write about gruesome murders isn't really <laughs> in my character or background. So, I mean, I'm a mother of three. Um, and to kind of jump into this dark world was a little challenging at times. Um, and, and, of course, just finishing it, because nobody really likes to finish their book. It's something you feel it can never really end. But, um, you know, I basically left it where it kind of doesn't end. The idea is it was set up for a sequel. And are you working on that now? I am. I have some notes, but I must say that I'm not quite there yet. Not quite there. So I just have notes, yeah. So it's, it's in a very, I would say it's in diapers. That's the only way I could put it. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, we've been visiting with Kimberly Olson. The name of the book is Akalya, a fantasy, novel, mystery. It sounds like there are a lot of different elements that would appeal to a broad range of readers. Kimberly, where can we get a copy of this book? You can get it from Amazon. Uh, you can get it at barnesandnoble.com and, of course, from McCleavers. Thank you, Kimberly, for visiting with us today. Thank you very much. We look forward to hearing from you again in the future, perhaps a sequel to this book. Hope so. <laughs> well, we'd love to hear from you again. Okay, great. Thanks so much for your time. For Steve Jorgensen and Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. 
Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.